Hello everyone, welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. Whose land is this? My land. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They had the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my weakness. <laughs> well, we mix these families together, and that estate money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. Shomikasi. That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I am your host, Kale Smith. Joining me this week is Brandon Cooley from Bass Infinity Productions. Everyone. And also joining us back is uh, David Weiser from from Film Film Assessment. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. It's good to be back. I almost skipped over. I almost messed that up just because I haven't said it in so long. Sorry. Uh, so you're okay. But you know what, David? So what movie are we? What what epic movie has brought us together to assemble this? Uh, this to assemble this group of this group together again? Because we did this for Lord of the Rings. What epic long movie are we talking about this time? Martin Scorsese's The Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes, we are here to talk about Martin Scorsese's uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Finally, we thought we were going to get this last year for the Oscar run, and then we didn't. And um, and to me, I will say at least, I'll get to the panelists you know, very quickly. I think it was worth the wait, even though this was a very difficult movie to find the time. I'm not digging on the three and a half hour runtime. I'm just like, it's a very difficult, I don't know why this is a very difficult movie to get, you know, to find time to watch. Cause you, and I'll explain maybe in a little bit, but I want to get to my panelists. So, um, what did, so starting with you, um, Brandon, what did you think of Killers of the Flower Moon? Just as a, you know, general thoughts. Um, it's good, but I'm very lukewarm on it. Um, it's not, uh, in terms of Scorsese's filmography, the movies I've seen by him, um, it doesn't rank really that high for me. Um, to, to be clear, though, where, like, where I'm coming from with this, um, so I'm taking a Native American history class this semester at college, um, back in school <laughs> to, for a teaching degree in history. And so um, I chose my paper um, to be about the Osage, uh, Osage wealth and how they... Uh, became so rich in Oklahoma um, before the 1920s. My paper doesn't focus so much on the murders, but, and so when that happens, some of the, it does spoil the movie for you in some ways that may be like a reason why I wasn't engaged as much as I normally am. But I will say though, I'm going to kind of review the Irishman with this as well, because I'm very surprised by these two movies. Um, The choices that Scorsese has made. He's my favorite director. Um, And the style of both this one, the Irishman are very similar um, and so is the runtime. And I just, I, I find it interesting that he's an advocate for cinema, but what these two movies are, are basically miniseries. They have the tone and feel of miniseries put on, put on the theater. 
like the screen of a theater. I just don't understand what the reasoning is behind that. Um, I I don't know. I feel like there's a much better version of this movie somewhere um, that was. I have theories for for what that could be, but um, but yeah, his style though his the kind of the matter of fact kind of style he has with both this and the Irishman is very disappointing um, compared to his other movies, in my opinion. But. Okay, I might have a theory, but David, you go ahead. So I I don't know, like I haven't, I mean I've I, it's been a week since I've seen it, so I haven't like contextualized it in within his filmography, especially because like for me it's so impossible to like give it an arbitrary ranking because there's like so many like for me that I think are like pretty much borderline masterpieces, if not masterpieces. Um, I am really liking this later stage uh, of Scorsese's career, though. Like, um, these last, I don't know, four or five movies, like, I felt like have been... I I would say they have been kind of different from one another. Very, like, I think you can... Like, if you go from Wolf of Wall Street to Silence, those are, like, polar opposites. And then, like, I think... The Irishman is kind of maybe somewhere in the middle in terms of like it's also very quiet and contemplative, kind of like on like your whole life and the the essence of what you've done and kind of corruption your soul and everything. Um, we, but this isn't an Irishman review, so I'm not going to get it all, all into that. But kind of just my general gist of what I was saying is kind of like I I do like how I think you can see him stretching his muscles as a filmmaker, like at this stage in his career and kind of venturing out and doing things you haven't, we haven't really seen from him before. Like, like there, I, there are several sequel. I'm, I'm not going to dive too deep into it right this second, because we'll touch on it when we like open the floodgates for spoilers. But there, there are several scenes in this that don't like, obviously I know Steve, uh, that uh, Martin Scorsese was, like behind it but like it didn't feel like oh this feels like something like that he's like bottled up packaged and like he's done this before like this feels something like he's he's treading new ground in some respects and um i was really surprised by for a three and a half hour movie to me it didn't feel like it was three and a half hours long like i felt like the the pace of the film like you get so, you get so sucked into it that it feels like an hour just kind of evaporates. Like it felt more like two and a half hours to me, just in terms of like, I guess I was so invested in what was happening. I got sucked in so quickly that like it just, the time just vanished. (laughs) And then I was like, Oh wow. I like, I was, I was aware that it was three and a half hours long and sitting there, I knew I had spent three and a half hours, but like, it just didn't feel like it. And so like, I think that like credit to Thelma Schumacher for, um, another great job done (laughs) you know like she's like she's his kind of secret weapon um throughout his whole career well like most of his career at least and so i i i I guess that's kind of the main takeaway um that i would say in terms of like that whole discourse for me with killers of the flower moon um it's I kind of agree. This is kind of interesting that this is now two for two, three and a half hour movies with this and the Irishman. 
And we've never done a review of The Irishman on this show, because uh, this is during that weird like last half of 2019. Um, I think, David, you and I did talk about it on the Best of 2019 list mm-hmm. um, back then. You know, so, but what I will say about Scorsese now as a filmmaker, I think it's interesting how he's like still getting projects like this made because, and now that he's kind of been, he's kind of like, you know, ventured out, you know, ever since Silence, because Silence is like his last like two and a half hour movie, right? Like now he's kind of ventured into this, you know, territory where it's like, I'm going to take as long as I need to tell the story. I'm going to, you know, we're going to engross you. We're going to kind of give you this epic quality of storytelling. And I think for this movie, you know, to answer your question, you know, Brandon, is to, to if I may theorize, I think what Mark Scorsese is trying to do is kind of bring back the epic, you know, cinemascope movie. Because, I mean, back in the 50s and 60s where Mark Scorsese was kind of growing up, his adolescence, like, there were movies like this where they were, you know, three hours, four hours, four and a half, you know. Granted, they had, like, an intermission in between it, and, they, and you could make a whole night of watching this one movie. But to me, I feel like that's what Scorsese is trying to recapture, is, you know, basically that old, that old, old, old school cinema that, you know, his, you know, Rat Pack group kind of eventually threw out. In a way, well, so it's funny though to me because we mentioned you, know, you guys mentioned Wolf of Wall Street and Silence. Those two movies are far more um, have so much more depth and are so much more visually stunning than these two. Um, they look better, better sets. Which I'll get to the sets in a minute. Um, better performances, better. I mean, literally everything. Like I, and I just it's weird to me because I mean um, this is a period piece. And compared to Gangs of New York and The Aviator 20 years ago, these sets look so much more cheap than either of those two movies. I mean, and those two movies had much smaller budget. Um, and Silence is a period piece, too. Well, so that would be the same argument for that as well. Um, it does look like a TV series on on a movie screen. It's just, it's very odd to me that um, that it feels like that. But And also, people say, too, that um, these last two, it doesn't have stylized violence. Okay, well, Scorsese never did stylized violence. He did violence that make you feel uncomfortable, which is what it's supposed to do. I mean, Tarantino does stylized violence, and Matthew Vaughn, and, you know, um, movies do that. It's usually action movies that do that, and his movies never were action movies. So I'm not sure where that idea is coming from. But um, for this one, I just didn't, I, I, I liked it, but I didn't really feel anything while watching it. Um, just nothing. Besides, there's a few moments I did, but which we'll get to that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. Like, the violent... I, I don't... I don't know what to say about the violence anymore because it's so, like... It's just there. Like, it's a violent... Exactly. Like, it's a yeah. violent movie. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon. But it's just there. You know? Yeah, it just happens. They're not... There's No one's going out to a field and stabbing literal flower moons. <laughs> but, you know, like, that would... Like yeah. that, I mean, what, what are we? T- I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway, well, I'm going on a tangent. Yeah. No, it's so, right. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I was looking up how this. So the book, I had to read some of that for the essay I wrote, and so in the book, the first third of the book is from the Osage perspective, and then the last half or last two thirds mostly is um, more from the FBI's perspective. Now that was the first draft of this movie, um, and something happened where they changed it. Uh, I think it was DiCaprio. He didn't want to play. 
uh, Tom White, the, the FBI investigator, he wanted to play Ernest Burkhardt. Um, I would have gone with the original uh, script, where it was the last half of the movie, at least, was from the FBI's perspective. Maybe not the whole film, maybe the last half. Um, I, I'm very confused why they did what they did with the script, why it's from Ernest's perspective. I don't I don't, I don't understand because the hard thing about the script is that um, it's very rare in fiction that you have a character, a main character who's so passive, and so he's just kind of an idiot. I mean, that's <laughs> um, usually your protagonists take more of an active role in the plot, and so that really took me out of it. Um, I read something about there being like uh, they didn't want to do a white savior story, which it wouldn't have been because that's history. It doesn't really it's that wouldn't have been from the FBI's perspective, but. They said they wanted to tell from the Osage perspective, but it's not from their perspective, though. In that case, Molly would have been the main character, and she wasn't, so... I don't know. It's... <laughs> um, yeah. I, David, do you have a perspective before I chime in? I don't, I don't know that I would say he was passive, because he was... I mean, he was definitely manipulated into doing everything, but, like, he is ultimately responsible for a good... 75 80% of everything that happens in the movie you know and whether he directly committed the murder or whatever or orchestrated it with someone else or like sent someone else to go do it but like he was directly responsible for a vast majority of everything that happened so I feel like he was kind of active in that sense and he definitely is he 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 is an idiot but like (laughs) I, I, I don't know. To well, me, like that taking didn't... orders from De Niro the whole time. Yeah, it seemed like, but yeah. Well, here's the thing about this movie about DiCaprio, and it is kind of ironic to me that the that you know that the whole marketing campaign it's it's DiCaprio's movie. He's, I was he's gonna yeah, I was shocked. Be neck and neck. Yeah. He's gonna be neck and neck with Killian Murphy, <laughs> you know, and Oppenheimer, you know, and. To me, and it's a good performance, but it's very, it's more, like, to me, the reason why, like, it works is because of Scorsese's direction more than what DiCaprio is doing as an actor. I mean, DiCaprio was paid $30 million for this movie, and $10 million of it was just him frowning. I mean, it's almost like a parody of his other performances. Like, it's probably his weakest since Jadgert, in my opinion. Um, one of his weakest of his entire career, I would say, but... That's just me. I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, that's until you get to the. End. I don't know that I would go there's that far or anything. Yeah, I'm but I did like to me that it seemed like he was kind of between like if he, there's definitely a turning point post Wolf of Wall Street for him where you can see in the roles he's taken since then it seems like he's playing against type a lot. Like if you look at like well, I mean The Revenant, which you finally won the Oscar for, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Don't look up. Think, yeah don't look up and then now this like those are all like i feel like that's all new territory for him in a, in a way and this in particular like this is probably like one of the most despicable characters he's played and i feel like i feel like he 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 really embodied that like and and like kind of the whole idiot like the idiot persona matched with like this despicable person like I felt like he kind of he 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 made you like like he made you hate him so much that like I feel like he was successful in that vein. I wouldn't go as far to saying it's like one of his best performances because I mean he has a very 
well-versed career. Like, he, he, he has so many incredible performances throughout his career. Like, so I'm not going to measure it up in that respect. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think he's, like, the biggest, the huge takeaway of this movie. I mean, that's obviously, like, De Niro and Lily Gladstone, I think, are the two that stand out, stand stand above him, even in some respects. But um, I do think it is a quality performance from him. I was, well, I was shocked by the, <laughs> the attempt to have a love story. Because I don't think they, I, for one, I, there's no evidence there was one in this story. Like, in terms of the sources, we don't have those sources to say that there's no love letters between the two of them. Um, so was, I've been um, listening to a lot of uh, podcasts and interviews with Scorsese. And so this was, the, the love story aspect was brought up that <coughs> their, their descendants, so like descendants of Molly and Ernest, said that even though he did all of these things, there was genuine love between them, even though like what he's doing is obviously like kind of antithetical to that. Um, but like they were the, like the Osage and the descendants of Molly were kind of the ones that advocated for that being included. And that kind of is what a turning, a turning point in terms of the script going from the FB, the, what they had the first draft to what it became now was when they met with the Osage and um, decided to include more of their perspective and DiCaprio wanting to take on the Ernest role. That's kind of how it evolved into what it is. For me, that was by far the weakest part of the movie. I mean, I think that a movie about her, uh, Molly, and the plot being who is poisoning me is a much better plot for this. And Or just the plot being from the Osage, who is murdering us. I, and then they can choose when, uh, like, the FBI can show up at the end, maybe. Still, I don't know. But I just was very perplexed by that choice in this movie. Um, but that's just me. I don't know. did not work for me at all. I, I think for me, the reason... Well, first of all, you're right. The script had changed. But I think it happened... This was... Because this was also, like, a COVID movie, too. Yeah. Where they shot during COVID. And... Or they kind of made it during COVID. And the thing was about this movie was they were originally going to do that story with Leo DiCaprio being, you know, what Tom Waits is what you said. Um, so yeah. they were going to do that. And then what happened was, you know, they were getting down to the wire and Leo DiCaprio was like, what's the heart of the story? Like, there isn't like, mm-hmm. it's a very procedural crime drama. You know, if we just do, you know, the FBI and also Scorsese was also having this problem with Eric Roth where he's like, we're, the audience is already ahead of us. They know it's the it's the white people. Like it's they already know that it's you know De Niro is going to be you know De Niro's character. They they like they've already figured it out. You know, so we kind of need to abandon the whole crime mystery part of it and make it about how you know these people you know basically committed a long a very long term death. You know, it almost and spoilers. You know, almost successfully took over the business and took over everything. So it's so. And to me, I feel like I can see like why Scorsese says he wanted to abandon ship for this story. It's just this is asking a lot of people that are already kind of ill, ill media liter, illiterate or media illiterate. Yeah, most people are. to be like. To be like, okay, you're going to sit here for three and a half hours to watch DiCaprio play basically a villain and basically slowly kill his wife and his sisters and their mother 
you know, to basically it, and then all, and, and to basically, you know, see, you know, all these white people treat Native Americans, like or Indigenous people, excuse me, as uh, as basically cattle, as basically prized possession, you know, mu- you know, prize their prized possessions for you know their deaths, you know, so to me. So it's a lot, to, but I feel like it's to a point. The, like Scorsese has this massive point that you know is trying to make that these people are, they're what they've done, what they've done to the Osage people. The terror they have brought is you know unforgivable, un you know, and we should never like these characters. I don't ever when I watch this movie, I don't like Edgar at all. I never like. He, I never, even the one scene where he's like, you know, in the Mason Lodge with all the people, and he's basically getting, you know, gaslighted to basically not testify. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still very Which, much like. There's a lot to talk about that scene, but yeah. Well, okay, we'll get there, but yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> but uh, the, but it's this is a larger point. Like, there's this huge arch of like, you know, does Leo DiCaprio just. Or does Edgar really, you know, feel absolute guilt? And I kind of go, and I've been thinking about this quote all day from William Peter Blatty for The Exorcist, where he mentions the scene in the director's cut of the priest, the two priests on the stairway talking about like why this, you know, this twelve-year-old girl is being possessed. And the line is, and Father Marin gives the line, of course, uh, you know, to despair and. In Blatty's eyes, that line in that scene gives you permit, like kind of permission to. He says, "Enjoy." I think he means more endure the violent, the horror on screen. And to me, the the final scene between Lily Gladstone and Leo DiCaprio, I would say, is that moment for this movie where it gives you kind of the permission to endure everything that you've just watched if that makes sense. So, and I'll, it will cut circle back to it, but I feel like that's the reason why you do this movie is so you can have a scene to basically, but like the last scene between those two, those two characters. Um, so yeah. Okay. What else can we say before we get into spoilers? Um, I'm ready to dive in. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about the sets. I, I'm confused, though. I, I'm just very confused by this movie. Uh, so many reasons. I just don't get... Why does it cost so much money? I, I read about back-end participation before we started recording um, a couple hours ago. Like, It has to do with the streaming, the fact that, like, okay, so if you if you make a movie for streaming, there won't be as much of a box office, um, you know... So some people on the film are paid with the box office percentages, so because of that, they have to be paid more up front or something like that. Yeah. That explains Parvent, maybe, but I, I don't understand why the film looks the way it does or why, like, and that may just be me. I don't know. I don't, like, this and The Irishman look like TV series. They don't look like films. I, like, um, the lighting, I mean, I mean, just to give you an idea, it's like the in the book, um, this is basically the last of the Wild West. I mean... There's a lot of crime in this area of Oklahoma. Um, I Boston from The Departed looked worse than this. I gotta say, I that looked more threatening. Uh, the, the Departed takes place in present day. I think that the opening is in the 70s. So, um, but 
I mean, Gangs of New York, I mean, okay, probably rougher. Okay, that's different. That's But I just, I don't think it looks like, I don't know. It's just, it's odd to me. But I, there's plenty of more historical dramas that have more of a rough, like a, um, a look to it that's rougher than this, even though it's supposed to be that. But. <clears throat> I mean, I, I mean, I'll give you that some scenes do look very, very well lit, even though it probably, wait, they probably, they had electric lighting back then at this point, right in the story, right? Yeah. They yeah, were yeah. on lights. Okay. 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 I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I don't want to be unfair to it. I mean, and also, I mean, there's stuff in both Irishman and this movie where I'm just like, God, Lee Rodrigo Perito is just like a freaking good cinematographer here. Um, like there's great moments, but then you know I'm kind of like on your scale where I'm like I'm. I mean, Hoyt von Hoytemius cinematography and you know, and also Roger Perito. You know, if we talk about him, his look for Barbie is really great. So it might just be my preferences. I, mean, I don't know in terms of filming styles, but, but. yeah. Um, so, but yeah. Okay. Um, was there anything else we need to talk about? I kind of left for a second. Um, well, so is there anything else before we get into spoilers? The Nero's great. He's great villain, you know, just pure evil. I mean, that's, he knows how to do it. So, Oh Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the entire cast is fantastic. I mean, Lily, we haven't mm-hmm. talked about Lily Gladstone but that much, but I mean, she really is good in this movie. I was sort of underwhelmed that all she has is her bedridden scenes for most of the movie. And that's kind of my point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... What? But, I mean, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so we are going into spoilers. Um, if you haven't seen the movie yet, um, please go check it out. Or if you want to be spoiled, you can stay on. Um, all that good stuff. Okay, so, uh, David, where are we starting in spoilers? Um, I guess with the the murders themselves. Or... <laughs> well, it's hard to spoil those because those are historical. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all historical, but... Um... I don't know. I mean, we can start wherever you want to start. Okay, so... All right, you guys well, want to start so, off with the history of it, like, or what happened in, like... Because they didn't cover the trial, really, in that much depth. There's a reason why Hale and um, Ernest went to prison. Um, it was for one murder, not for... Or, yeah. Um, not for countless Basically, murders. they this was on reservation land, except for one of the murders. And so, they, the... The state police was limited to what they could do about it, and the local police was corrupt, obviously. Um, when the FBI comes in, they're trying to basically connect all the dots. Um, there's a character called, his name is Henry Roan. Um, he, he's the one who shows up in the beginning, who takes DiCaprio to um, William Hale's house. Oh, the one that gets killed for the life insurance? Yeah, yeah. He's the one. That was messed up. Yeah, his murder <laughs> is, what, is why they went to prison. Because um, that was actually off reservation land, the jurisdiction was just the right place to where they could go to prison for that. So, um, so when it, they explain at the end that they that they were sent to prison for a short amount of time, it's because local police was corrupt, um, state police had no jurisdiction, the FBI hands were tied. So, only five of them were there, I think. But yeah. so, yeah. For me, 
we'll start with the murders. What I love about this movie is, so after the opening, well, really the opening itself is just like, it just has this foreboding tone. I mean, the way they, you know, already acknowledge that they're already going to have to send their children to white schools and be educated. And there's already like, you know, this whole movie in a weird way is about how, you know, the Osage County is just like being chipped away, you know, slowly and surely. And it's and the murders of the sisters is kind of like the perfect allegory of it. It's like Osage, the Osage you know, tribe, they're basically being, you know, chopped down, you know, little by little. And it's all the more devastating. And then Lily Gladstone is basically like a walking metaphor of this whole, of the, the slow death of, you know, this county. Um... So, so I do, and I even love like how Scorsese is like just shows you all these murders that did happen, like that were or not really. He didn't show the actual murders, but he just like all these people that are suspected to have been killed, and like there's this whole montage with Lily Gladstone like narrating it, and it's just like you just already get the sense of like this is going to be brutal, this is going to be hard, and you know, and it's it's going to be and you're going to and basically it's this introduction of this is the story of how you know one family one white like you know patriarchy destroys basically an entire you know county or tribe if you will and this is how it, it can happen basically and that's kind of like what i love about the opening of the movie you know going into it you know i don't really care too much about the leo stuff when Leo and Robert De Niro meet that much it's you know it's the beginning of the manipulation that kind of stuff so uh who wants so who wants to take the next one who wants to take like next so given the direction they took it with the 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 script um the scene at the end where they're all where he meets them in the um he meets the townspeople and Brendan Fraser's character, and they convince him not to testify. Um, that could have been the strongest scene in the movie, and almost was. Um, there's two issues with that. Um, the glaring one is Brendan Fraser. Um, very confused by his performance. I, I don't know what he was doing. Um, I, I, everybody online agrees with me, it seems like. I was, I was not everybody, but I was looking it up afterward. Everybody was asking the same thing. What happened with that? Um, there's that. Also, I feel like in the trailer... The the way the trailer ends is can you find the wolves in this picture and it shows that scene, the ending of it, and in the movie he's reading a book, and he's reading can you find the wolves in this picture and it's just a picture of like a drawing, and I'm like, I think it took away from like the 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 impact of that final scene because it's supposed to be kind of sickening the idea that this many people were in on it that this many people know about the the murders and you know the the head right inheritance. So, I don't know, I feel like Brendan Fraser in the trailer kind of ruined the impact of that scene, but um, it was good, though. It was a very well-done scene, for the most part. But um. <laughs> Yeah, for David? The Brendan Fraser thing, I've seen people kind of on both, both sides. Um, like, that's, like, a whole thing. But, like, to me, it's, like, his performance, he's definitely very hammy. Like and he's 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 going for the swinging for the fences, but I feel like that's kind of so when so things I've read in defense of it, I'm I'm kind of like whatever about it because he ultimately does not have that much screen time, so it didn't really 
bother me too much. Um, but like what I've read about people saying in defense of it or kind of saying like lawyers at that time were very like overdramatic like that, like the way like he when he get his entrance into the into the movie when he just stands up and he's like, my client is here. And like he, you know, like he wants to talk to him or whatever. And he's like making a big scene of it. Like apparently from what I read, like lawyers just that's just kind of the way lawyers behaved at that time. And it seems ridiculous to us now, I think, because our mod- we a lot of like law pr- legal procedural procedurals that we see today are kind of set in like the modern context. So that's kind of what uh, we have in our head. It's like this is how law- lawyers behave. And so I think that kind of could be part of it. Um, and then I think there's just the fact he's going so like it kind of feels almost like like I saw someone say. It's like he's in a Coen Brothers movie rather than a Martin Scorsese movie. And so, like, I feel like that's another aspect. Like, he, I feel like his performance is kind of, like, on a different wavelength uh, as everything else around it. So it, like, sticks out more, even though he, he really doesn't have that much screen time. Well, and the, also the way I kind of look at it, too, not, to add more to David's point, is he's trying to get, to break, he's trying to disrupt. The, the whole proceedings because he really doesn't have because I think that character Frazier's character realizes and ev- and so does Robert De Niro's character they all realize everybody's fucked everybody is like they, everyone's going to prison and if they can just convince you know Leo DiCaprio to just shut the fuck up um, they might be able to get out of it you know sque- you know with barely a scratch. So he's trying to disrupt the entire trial so he can manipulate so he can manipulate Leo DiCaprio to basically being like um to basically just shut up, you know, and let you know and cuz I mean and and it's such a great like reveal that in the middle of this movie is like, you know, and part of Scorsese's whole thing too was to be like who didn't who wasn't involved in these murders. Like I mean, cuz you would do all this research and talk to the, you know, Osage and all these, you know, the relatives. And it's like, who wasn't involved in these murders? You know, and so when you get to the scene where they're in the Masonic Lodge, which already is like, which is already creepy for real, for me already. You know, um, like, when you get there and it's just all these people, the entire, like, white people of this town. It's like, it's so, it's creepy. It's almost so, like, get out like. Where it's like it's just this society of white people that are just like they're just wolves. They're the parasites of you know. They're just leeching on to you know this you know wonderful thing that you know the stroke of luck, the stroke of luck that you know the Osage tribe have you know encountered. So it's I mean it's just a beautiful it's a, it's a beautiful but scary point. Um, which, and, enough, it wasn't luck. It was very, it was all strategic in there, what they did 50 years before 1920s. Uh, which I won't get into that, it's kind of a long story. Um, but I've been researching it for the yes, essay to write, but um, it, there was right. luck involved because the oil itself, but yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. Right, but I mean, that's and that's a fair point, but I'm just like, it's, to them, it's like, you know, they won. It's like they were it's like God will finally, you know, 
you know, God finally shined a light on, you know, the poor Osage, you know, the poor Osage people. And now it's like, we got to get the revenge. We got to get it back. You know, the, the, you know, the light, if you will, the luck. What I was shocked by that they didn't double down on is that, um, they mentioned this briefly. Um, so, and basically the ones who were full-blooded Osage, um, were declared incompetent to spend their money. The ones who were half, um, Osage were mostly were declared to be competent. And so, um, this is mentioned a few times when she's there to, to talk to, uh, oh, I can see the actors. I can't think of his name, where he's from. But anyway, so he, um, when she oh, shows, no country from all men. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. The gas station guy. Um, yeah, so that's mentioned, but, um, and a little bit with Henry Roan, um, I would have focused more on that in terms of, uh, because it has a long history to it that's very complex and, um, sad, but, um, in terms of their perspective, though, that plays into it as well, uh, because there were also, I mean, you had cases where, you know, the people who were the, um, financial guardians were making them buy stuff that was way overpriced, um, just trying to manipulate them any way they could to uh, get the money, um, on, besides the murders and stuff themselves. But uh. like when we saw the there, there was a, there were some scenes in the movie about that where it, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but they 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 brought up something about they were being charged more. Yeah, DiCaprio for, gets mad at somebody. Um, um, yeah, about it. It was the funeral, uh, yeah. the parlor stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The the casket was part, that was one thing but then there was another thing where it's it's early on in the movie when he's picking her up to drive her and there's like those mob of people outside trying to sell them um like i, I don't remember exactly what they were trying to sell them pictures and then there, i think yeah. something else yeah. but like you could tell there's something in there where they mention it's it's mentioned in that um scene or it's brought up somewhere it, it's brought up a few times i think throughout the movie Exactly. I just, um, for me, it's like, I just wish that either would have gone the FBI route or the Osage perspective, and they do this in-between thing that comes off as very mm-hmm. strange to me. I don't know, personally, but... Um, but. <laughs> well, I mean, to certain... I mean, there's, you know, imagine, you know, there's controversy for this movie, which, I mean, it's a Scorsese movie, it's controversy, you know? Yeah, of course, I mean, Scorsese can't even do a a kids movie without it being controversial. So, um, uh, so, but I mean, the Osage tribe, and I and I do completely. They have a great take, you know, in that is, you know, everything has been focused on, you know, the people, the perpetrators of this crime, and not like the Osage people. Because really, if this was about the Osage people and this was about telling their story. It should have been Molly's perspective, and if this was the FBI story, it should have been told from it. So I can understand like the frustration that everyone has had with this movie being like, wait, it's from whose perspective? Yeah, and that'd be I understand what Scorsese is trying to do because he's trying to say that there was you know a lot of people who were just complicit in all this and just following orders, and that's a lot of evil in the world's committed through that. But these characters, they're just really stupid. I mean, the people below Robert De Niro, they're just following orders, and they don't, like, have much... They're not interesting to listen to or watch, particularly. I mean, he's great at, like, filming criminals, or, like, writing criminals. Or, like, he doesn't write his movies. But he's great at, like, presenting criminals on screen and kind of getting into their psychology. 
I didn't get that with this movie at all. I just, I don't know. Well, he did co-write this So movie. one thing about, in this, like, kind of that like we were talking about, that it makes them almost even scarier, is that even though they are so incompetent, like we were talking about, they were only able to pin them down on one murder. Yeah. Like, it's like, their incompetence, like, even though they were incompetent, it was barely enough to get them caught. And even in that there was injustice in the justice. Like, like there wasn't like, they didn't serve very much time, you know, like, so I feel like, like knowing that they were like the, just the way things were like, they were so stupid and they were still able to get away with all this pretty much like more or less, you know, like, I feel like that kind of just hits home, hits it all home even harder. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's like, and to me, that's like why this movie is so horrifying. Is that like enough of these stupid people can just come up with like a long term plan to get all these people murdered and to basically play the system of insurance policies, you know, inheritance, all of this to basically get rich, you know, and and to treat and to be allowed to treat people by cattle like you know or property that they are going to then inherit like it's like a means to an end Mm -hmm. so to me that like to me that's like the most horrifying thing to think about and i think that's like the big takeaway is that the system is so broke and so against the osage the osage people you know that you know they didn't really have a chance once everyone started to build the economy and the more you dive into like how this happened and how this corruption it's like you know i mean robert de niro says at the end you know i gave them you know the town i gave them you know the you know i built you know i brought them into the 20th century and it's like you brought them into the 20th century you know but at the cost you know for them to die at your hand it's truly an unsettling movie it's an unsettling movie and unsettling plot maneuver uh to to you know if i may say so if i say so myself um um what else is there uh oh we have to we have to talk about the explosion Mm -hmm. they put way too much apparently so brandon what you know what actually happened with the explosion? Oh, that was accurate. You know that much? Yeah, they used too much TNT, uh, nitroglycerin. I don't know. It was, yeah, they used yeah. Um, far too much than what was necessary. And that, that explosion was the size that showed in the film. Um, I mean, you had parts of just from blocks being flown, so or in terms of the blast radius. So, yeah. Because that was, I mean, that's a powerful, I mean, that is a very powerful explosion to just happen, you know. And they showed the guy blowing up a safe, and so it's confusing that he didn't know that it was going to do that. Um, I didn't get that far in the book. I was focusing more on the, before the murders, but, um, but yeah, from reading other articles about that, or other research, that seemed to be accurate. Um, Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, it's... uh, the, there was so much crime in this area that uh, we don't know that much about the guy who did they did hire. So um, he was killed, like they showed in the movie. So it's one of those things. You don't have the sources really to to, to uh, confirm certain things. But. Yeah, and I do kind of like that plot, you know, that montage too of like the De Niro going, being like, 
hey, you know, I'm going to put you on a vacation, you know, go, or I'm going to put you on this path to basically get brutally murdered or arrested. Yeah, him tying up all his loose ends. Yeah, I mean, De Niro really is, like, playing, like, omniscient fourth dimension chess here. I was just like, you go here, you go there, and then die here, die, oh, not die here, die, you're going to be... You know, you're just going to go here, go... He's, like, presenting all these opportunities for these criminals to basically fall into traps. And it's it's spectacular, but also horrifying. I mean... And then another thing that I really loved about De Niro's performance is, like, how casually he would bring up, like, these horrible things, like, this whole... Like, their whole plot, like, when he was just in, just in conversation with DiCaprio, like... They'll be just, uh, they'll be chilling on the side of the road. Like, he pulls up and, like, they're just talking about this. Just like, if they're, it's like, oh, hey, I went to work the other day. You know, like, it's just any other conversation. But, like, just, like, I feel like that made it even more chilling. And then, like, this whole, like, um, kind of face he put on to the people. Like, I, I don't know. I, just that, that performance is just, there's so many, there's so many layers to it. Mm-hmm. And knowing their language, too, and all, you know. Mm-hmm knowing their families and then basically being like, I am the, I am the ultimate, you know, fan. We are going to figure this out, you know? So yeah, it's entirely creepy. Brady, yeah, that was accurate. Say? He was actually a trusted member of the community before all this happened. So that part was kind of reflective of that. Um, uh, I was going to ask, do you think they, sh- if they had have made it into a uh, mystery horror movie where, you know, there's the killings, and they don't know who's doing it, and so they do hire private detectives in real life. That's what they did. And then eventually the FBI comes in. Do you think that would have cheapened the history of the, of what happened? Or Because I feel like that would be my take on the what genre it would be in my if I was writing the script. But, um... Well, I'll let, you go take the, I'll let you go first, David. So, like positioning it as like kind of like a, a mystery like would that cheapen like the and people's the, view I the, like true life i don't know I, uh, it makes sense to me but that's <laughs> i could see that maybe like uh um, well, courtroom drama that's I, an I, option I, too because that yeah i i kind of think they're not being like him being very upfront about it from the very beginning, like before they even like show any, like, but like when they have that montage of her narrating, like all the murders you're going to be seeing, like, I feel like that deliberate choice to kind of say like, look, I'm just going to tell you up front, like, this is, this is what's going to happen. And, um, like seeing that the journey along the way of seeing Ernest be corrupted, like to such to that degree like i think like but then like i think what is really fascinating about this movie is like how many multitudes there are in terms of like you can tell you can tell to like obviously what he's doing to molly is cruel inhumane like evil blah 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 but like in spite of that there is still love there and so like it's just like really complex nature of kind of like the human condition like for the idea of like I love you, but, like, what you're doing is not reflective of that. And then, like, you can... I don't, I don't know. It's really it's really interesting to me. I, what did she see in him? I, I'm confu- I was very confused by that. I, I mean, because the thing is, it's DiCaprio, yeah. right? <laughs> the, the guy does a lot, not look like DiCaprio in real life. I mean, he's... Actually, the guy in real life is uh, 29, 28. 
So they, DiCaprio's like 50 or whatever. So it's, that was, there's just an age difference there. But um, I, I don't, I think that there was chemistry really. Maybe there was one scene with chemistry when he was driving. They're talking. Uh, yeah, there's that one tracking shot. There's that one, like... yeah, the tracking shot. There's that one moment of chemistry. And I don't know. I just don't. The character, like Scorsese's not the best at love stories, um, which is okay. I, that's why I like his movies, actually. But um, you know, like DiCaprio and Beer for Amiga and Departed has more. There's more there. You know, um, that's my first go-to with that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think you know. Also, it's kind of being hinted at the beginning of the movie that all the men are getting killed, like all of like the. Like seeing like bachelors of the Osage tribe, they're getting like murdered. So it's becoming more of like they they're in a forced position to uh, to mix with you know the white families. Um. So and I guess DiCaprio, I guess she was really charmed by his handsome devil, you know, joke. Um. I don't know. I mean. I'm not charmed at all, but I think that is kind of the point. Yeah, like um, they, I, you can kind of tell they went to great lengths to like make him uglier. Like, like his, yeah. if you pay attention, to like to his teeth, they're all like, Bleh. and then, <laughs> then like he has a, he kind of his hair. He doesn't have like the like Hollywood hair style, like like the normal like DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't have that like. You, you, and then, like, him doing the whole frowning, like, with the physicality of the performance as well, like, you can tell they're going to great lengths to make him as ugly as you can possibly make Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I still think Adam McKay did a little better job, but, you know, um, <laughs> but, well, but that's for a different day, but that's for a different podcast. Um, so, I don't know... For me, what I will say about Lily Gladstone's character, though, is I do... The only problem I do have with the movie is at a certain point, I don't understand... Like, after being rescued and, like, basically being rehabbed, like, when she's saved by the FBI, I don't understand how she hasn't put it together yet that her husband uh, is killing her. And that, you know... Like I don't like get it. It's not quick. There's like not enough explanation. Go, sorry, David, go ahead. Well, you can like at that point, like she still like he was the only one she trusted with the insulin, and so like you, there is still trust between them. Like she doesn't have any kind of inclination, really, up until she because she's sick most of the time. He's being investigated and whatnot, and so she's kind of out of it kind of out of the loop you know for like to be able to pick up on those context clues and then once she's rehabilitated she doesn't really get to see the full picture till she's sitting there in the trial and leo basically confesses to everything like up until that point like there's not enough well like there it's there for the audience but like from her perspective i don't think there's enough for her to grapple grab those pieces together because she doesn't re- I don't even know if she had realized she had been poisoned yet like I know they rehabilitate her and she figures it out but like I don't think there's um, ever like an explicit confirmation that 
she knows that she's poisoned before he confesses to it. Mm. Okay. Uh, I, Brandon? I would have taken out the uh, the owl hallucinations. Um, I thought it really... And I mean, it didn't. The runtime doesn't matter to me. Three and a half hours is fine. Um, it's pushing it, but I didn't care about the runtime in terms of editing it out. I just would have changed that. Wouldn't have had those scenes in it. Um, I don't think they were really that effective at anything in terms of what they were experiencing. Um, that's just me, though. I, I'm not a big fan of hallucination scenes unless it's in a comedy and dramas. They don't really work for me usually. But or dream sequences, hallucinations, kind of the same thing. But. I felt like part of that was kind of came from bringing in the Osage people. Like that was kind of, I, it's like a I'm not going to pretend to be super null. I, I, I have a feeling that that's something that's like meaningful and important to their culture. And so that's where the, the significance of why it's included uh, beyond like being symbolic for what's going on, like where, where they can, they kind of, they, they explain it in the scene where she's talking about things, the owls bring death or whatever. Um, I don't remember the exact um, language, but um, so I think I'm, I'm guessing that must have come from those meetings with the Osage. Maybe they, that was probably something that like they mentioned as being significant to their culture that maybe he latched onto as like, oh, okay, I can use that as a symbol um, and incorporate that into this. Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't, it's not, I actually kind of like it, you know, as like a symbolic gesture, because at first when you see it, it's kind of like a peaceful, like, you know, okay, she's very, like, the mom's very close to death, obviously we kind of knew this, um, and then when it's brought up again, when Molly is seeing it, it's like, it really is, like, true defeatism. You're just so just defeated because she's so close to giving up. She's so close to the end. And, you know, so it works as, like, this horror, but also just, like, super sad moment uh, that personally happens. Um, and then I do love the moment where Robert De Niro is also like, I need you to sign away your, you know, your inheritance to me if, you know, anything happens, you know. And it's just like, motherfucker. <laughs> No one is safe from this fucker. This guy will literally kill, fuck everyone in his entire bloodline and everyone else in between, you know, to just get rich. I mean, it's, it's so sickening. Like, it, he's such an absolute snake in this. Um, mm-hmm. tr- trying to think. Uh, what the last scene? Um, when... Do you think that was um, a good decision on in terms of the way it ends, wrap, wraps everything up? That uh, between it's the, the, the ra- it's the radio. No, it's the radio um, drama, but it's on a stage. Uh, Scorsese walks out at the end. Um, mm-hmm. What'd you guys think of that? In terms of, I'm kind of mixed on. I, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I liked how it kind of um, like what I was speaking to earlier. How it's like um, there's injustice. And they found justice, but there's still injustice because, like, so had him coming forward and saying, like, you know, they're talking about, like, oh, well, they they got released shortly afterwards. Um, she died, and there was no mention of the murders in her obituary. So it's kind of like this idea of like, I'm we're we're preserving. Like, it's kind of it is very much like Scorsese speaking directly to the audience, so to speak. 
but of kind of like this is the important this is why this story is important and i want to help try to preserve this story and the, this is my contributions towards doing that um this story has been kind of almost erased from history so to speak not not literally but like it's not something you learn about in history class unless you're like go doing a deep dive, like kind of in the same vein as like the Tulsa murders and all of yeah, that. They mentioned that brief, like movie. very brief. Yeah. Yeah. I love how that scene, like him watching the reel is used like as a, like a light bulb and going off in his head. Just like, Oh, there's one way we can kill somebody. Just make a, just like ca- cause a, a massive explosion. Yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah, yes. this was a race mask. This movie's that, horrifying. That was a race from history, the history books. This wasn't so much erased, it was just not um collected. Downplayed. Downplayed like, kind of, Yeah, downplayed and not yeah. collected the right way. Because there's there were three thousand FBI documents related to it. But it was very scattered and so it took it, it would take a long time to go through. because um, I, I looked at it for the research I was doing and I didn't read too much of it because it would have taken so long to do it and they're very hard to read. Um it's very unorganized and so so it takes a while to collect that and kind of put all the facts together. Because on the surface, it just looks like there was two, pe- three people that went to prison for one murder. When re- in reality, it was almost they they estimate to be a hundred murders or more. Because um, there's unwanted abortions that happened. There was cases of uh, poisoning, like Molly's character or, or Lilia Gladstone's character. Um, like all kinds of disappearances. So. They're still not completely sure how many people died or were murdered from this, but yeah, yeah it's oh, it's sickening. Um, to me, the radio is kind of confusing because usually the radio plays kind of died out in the fifties, but they're talking about stuff that happened later on. So it's kind of confusing on where it's at. But then again, this is all just you know, this could all just be kind of like a dream. It's just really, it doesn't, like, it's, like, time is, like, where we're at is superfluous. Um, so, but, I mean, Scorsese coming in the end, I think, I think that is, like, the final note. It's, like, you know, you know, Molly eventually died. She did live somewhat of a life. Um, I mean, she still struggled with diabetes, but she lived, she lived outside of her husband. Her ex-husband, I should say. And, but the story is, but there's no story over how, like, she lost her sisters, her mom, you know, her family, her friends, you know. Because that's that final line of, like, and there was no talk of any murders. And it's like, well, now there is. There's, there is now talk. There's a book and now a movie about it about what happened to the Osage tribe. So, um, so yeah, it, I don't know. It works for me. It was a little, cause I had heard like Martin Scorsese's voice, like, you know, in the background a couple times. Yeah. Like there's, there's a telegram they get and they get delivered. And then like something about taking a picture with Truman when, yes. when they're in DC. So he, he, there are two times you can hear his voice, and then there's finally he physically appears and speaks on screen with the radio. In a very Martin Scorsese way, with like the big glasses and you know blue suit and everything. So, um, yeah, I think it's. I mean, I think it works. It's fine, uh, and it's. I mean, it's better than 
making people sit through like five minutes of like, and then this happens, you know, postcards, if you will, you know, so I would I think be fine with that, that actually, the, the, what they usually do in movies, the, just reading text. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know just because I think at that point, if you had told people, okay, you can kind of just look this up on the Wikipedia later with the postcards, you don't do it in a visual way, then people are just going to walk out and leave and go to the bathroom. You know, because this movie's already so long and people are already complaining about bladders. But, uh, so I think doing the wrap-up as, like, in this visual way with the radio and everything, I think is a kind of a cool, like, epilogue of everything. So it's a cool way of doing the postcards seeing, you know, what would normally be postcards without actually doing it. So I think it works. Um... I'm trying to think of what else. I, I, I just saw this movie, but I'm already yeah. like, like I'm already like brain dead. I do want to talk, not necessarily about it, like any specific scene, but I kind of want to talk about broadly about the movie. Um, it, was a, it was for a movie that's three and a half hours long, putting, putting runtime aside. I did think this movie is a lot more accessible than I was expecting. Like not, not that I thought this was going to be like, art house you know avant-garde you know but like it does feel like a movie that like if people are willing to give the three and a half hour runtime a chance i think like it's kind of like oh there's more there's enough in it that they can latch on like for a movie with this dark of a subject matter like i was like really surprised by how much like not in a not in a like the bathos kind of mcu type of way but there's a lot of humor and some dark humor sprinkled throughout the movie. Like, um, I guess in particular, like one moment that I'm speaking of that, like thinking of like that really stuck out to me was the whole thing with where they murder him when he shoots the guy from the front and it's supposed to, or, or from the they back. Shoot him or, from the back. They shoot him from the back, but it's supposed to be a suicide. So it's supposed to, the bullet was supposed to go from the front. And so it's like, that was kind of ties into the whole incompetence thing. Like they could even get away with that. Like, that's like another thing that's just like, that's our downfall too. that murder. Yeah. Yeah. The one off jurisdiction. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. And, and that's why you should always, if you want to do it, if you want something done, right, do it yourself. But these people are so, these people are so awful that they would rather have someone else do it. than you know, than they do it themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I do like the movie. I, I, it comes off as if, if I don't. I do like it. Um, it's just that I think because I was reading so much about it, you, it's kind of like when you read the book before the movie, I, which I kind of did. Yeah, like, it's one of those cases where you have a very clear imagining of what's going to happen. Or well, I was using the trailer for it, like what was happening, but like the tone, I think more so um, because the thing with the tone about this is that it is so cold blooded, and I don't. I think that like those movies historically, like. History movies were made that way 20 years ago, and that's become very rare nowadays. Um, people just, they try to avoid movies like that, um, for the most part. Um, and studios try to avoid making them because of that. So I think that's part of the reason why the movie feels different, but, um, yeah. I mean, you're right. And I don't, and I wonder if that's because of the digital cinematography nowadays, because even though this movie seems to be of shot on film, 
Um, like, I just wonder, like, because I do agree, like, there is a lot of even lighting, and it kind of does, like, there's, like, it's not, it does feel a lot more modern. And I don't know, like, if that's, if that was just, like, a deliberate choice, or if they just, you know, or this is just how technology is now. We don't have the tech to do, like, we don't have it, we don't have the tech to do a Jesse James, like, a Jesse James-style movie anymore. We don't have that, or Benjamin Button. No, we don't have that anymore, so I'm just like, it is weird that we, but then again, I say all this, and this movie was actually meant to be streamed. Like, the whole, the reason... The whole we're getting it in wide, you know, a wide release and an IMAX is kind of a blessing in itself. But, you know, as I think Mark Kermode kind of said, you're watching a movie that's on the big screen that was literally shot to be streamed. Yeah, yeah, that's why I felt like it. I mean, I guess you guys may know this. Um, do you know why so many directors choose not to make miniseries on Netflix or Amazon Prime or take your pick? I mean. So it seems like I mean miniseries have become have just gotten amazing. I mean they are like TV series and miniseries mm-hmm. are I, I would say better than movies nowadays in terms of quality, writing quality. Um, I'm like, is there something like is there Scorsese just not? He just loves the cinema, I guess. So that's why he's not going to make one. Yeah. Do you know why other directors? He's don't? he's directed television before. Oh, he has. Okay. Like he directed episodes of Boardwalk Empire, I think. Oh yeah, um, yeah the pilot. So yeah, yeah. So I don't think he's opposed to directing television. Um, but I think maybe kind of like in these, as his career is winding down, I think he wants to focus on cinema at the moment, just because he's like, like he's, he's talking, like he's really kind of, seems like he's coming to grips with like kind of his mortality in a lot of his interviews lately and kind of like, he's wanting to do what he can while he can. And so maybe that's kind of where it's coming from and kind of the, the channeling his energy in that direction. For me, um, well, to be honest, Scorsese and James Cameron seem to be the only ones doing like three hour plus movies. Because even with Nolan, like Nolan is still, Nolan still hangs out like that two, 15, two hour and 30 minute, you know, runtime. Like Oppenheimer is really kind of like a fluke. Uh, so I don't, I don't know why. I mean, other than also, I mean, you know, there's a whole idea that television, there's still like the weird stigma with television, even though we can now shoot a great television show very expensively and make it look amazing, you know, but I feel like, I feel like part of the problem is still, you know, is if we can get, if we can get into theaters, if we can make it look great, you know, then you know, and if we can make a few bucks off of it before we sell the streaming rights to Netflix or Amazon or, or whatever, or in this case, Apple, you know, um, then we should do it. And I, I, I don't have a great answer for it, especially since the streaming bubble is now imploding as we speak. So um, who knows? And I wonder how Scorsese's next film will come about just because uh, it was kind of a miracle we got The Irishman as, as Netflix came in and swooped and bought and paid for it. And, this, and that cost, you know, about $165, $180 million, And then this is now a $200 million production, you know, basically paid for by Apple, distributed by Paramount. 
So I wonder, and now that the streaming bubble is collapsing and people are like, well, we don't want to fund, you know, $200 million vanity projects. I, I use air quotes for vanity projects. Um, I wonder how his next film will be financed. So um, we'll see. Um, but yeah, Brandon, I don't have a great answer just because directors are still making movies for theaters mm-hmm. and like no one's really doing three and a half hour movies other than maybe Scorsese and James Cameron. Yeah, and Nolan. Um, well, that's well, Nolan thing. just has Oppenheimer. Just about, yeah, Oppenheimer. That's the funny thing too is that there's the criticism that movies have gotten longer when they've gotten shorter. Like there's way more three hour movies in the '90s than there are now. Because um, I mean, in the 2010s, you just had Avengers, Endgame, and Wolf of Wall Street. I think. In terms of big studio movies, I, re- I read that once. I, there may be another one I'm missing, but um, I think people are complaining about two and a half hour movies. I think that's the big thing. Like, there's not as many three hour movies, but well, made, but... and and I'll, and David, if you have something to say, uh, we'll get um, we'll get to it in just a second. But I mean, the way I kind of look at it is, it's I still go back to the quote that Roger Ebert has, which is, "No good movie is long enough." And no bad movie is short enough. Yeah, and I think <laughs> the problem just is a movies are kind of like quickly put together. Like a lot of stuff in the second half of the mid two of the 2010s. If you look at the post production schedules on a lot of blockbusters, it's all it's super super short in comparison to what we were doing, you know, in the tw- in the 2000s if you will. So I feel like, you know, a lot of movies just don't have time to like properly edit and properly pace their movies. So that's why you sit through a two and a half hour movie and you're like, Jesus Christ, I feel like I've been here all day. You know, when, but then when you get to something like this and Avatar The Way of Water, you know, where it's like, oh yeah, I can totally sit here for all three hours, you know, and even if I go out to pee, I want to come back and rewatch the movie, you know, eventually anyway. So I think we're just at this point where it just all comes down to the editing and pacing. Uh, David, do you have any? I think that's definitely a part of it, but I think it's also like he was, um, Brandon was speaking about how the movies are getting shorter. I think there's definitely kind of like an acclimation, like audiences, because they're getting shorter movies, the longer movies feel longer to them in a sense, like they're not used to it. And so they're, like, getting acclimated to the shorter movies as they're also getting acclimated to watching things from home via streaming or whatever, you know? So it's, like, and then if you watch something at home that's that long, like, you have control over it. Like, you can pause it and blah, blah, blah. So, like, I think it makes almost makes the longer movie to them feel more, quote-unquote, unreasonable because, like, they're, like, well... Uh, if it was a miniseries, blah, 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 like I can have breaks between it. I can watch it as I'd like. I can digest it as I'd like. Whereas like cinema is kind of like a medium when you're like not meant to have control. And so like big, it's just this whole issue that we're facing. Kind of the industry as a whole is facing right now um, in terms of the whole streaming bubble and everything you were kind of alluding to earlier. But like, it's just like, I feel like there's just so many factors and I feel like that is another component to it aside from what you were saying about the, the editing and pacing of things yeah that's a good point because they've been calling it the golden age of tv dramas but if people are acclimated to one hour episodes then two hours or two and a half hours of a movie feels long 
Because, see, I've always thought, okay, if they're willing to watch three episodes of a, t- of a drama in one night for three hours, then why not watch a three-hour movie? But there is three episodes you can go to the bathroom in between, go get a snack. So, yeah, that's true. But Yeah. And it's only, I mean, if you're, like, really, really into a TV show, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that you'll actually just be like, oh, yeah, I'll just sit here and watch all four episodes of Loki Season 2 right now. You know, so, I mean... It's that kind of thing where you're just kind of like, you know, it's it really depends on what you're watching and how much you are engaged with it. That's why this whole thing is kind of subjective. Um, the only thing I would say, though, to it is, I mean, I think Killers of the Flower Moon is, you know, much like David said, it doesn't feel like three and a half hours. Um, and, and look, there are times where, you know, I'll admit, I really wanted to go to the bathroom like two hours in. <laughs> But I was like, but I, I, I don't know how I did it, but I, I somehow made it all the way through. You know, I feel like I kept telling myself, oh, Brandon Fraser's just around the corner or, you know, <laughs> or, you know, this care, this great, Jesse Clemens is just around the corner. Like, just, just keep waiting, keep waiting, you know, because, but the fun of this movie and the fun of like Oppenheimer and even now Barbie is like, they're hiring like every actor in Hollywood, you know, to be in these movies so you know when someone just pops up you're like oh yeah that it's that actor you know i've been waiting to see for all two hours of this movie, or you know two hours up to this point so yeah i i but yeah it, it's all subjective um okay so I think another thing about the runtime or i guess kind of like the whole discourse of it is like a lot of the time not saying this is like 100 percent the case but a lot of the time the people that complain about the run times of these things are the people that either weren't going to watch it anyways or the end they haven't seen it so it's like they're complaining about it but they don't have the context to know what the pacing is like they're just seeing the three and a half hours and saying oh that i don't want to watch three and a half hours you know <laughs> yeah and and look i will admit it is hard to go out to see a three and a half hour movie especially if you like work long hours and like like to me where i live i really did have to go and chop out you know four four and a half hours of my day to watch this movie and to some people that's that's a good chunk of time you know in their day so i can understand if not everyone was like going thursday night to go see yeah um the new martin scorsese movie um but I will say, if you do give it a shot, either in theaters or in Apple eventually, um, or Apple TV Plus eventually, excuse me, um, I do think the reward is worth it. I do think, you know, there's enough there. And even on Apple, you could do like what you did on the, what people, a lot of people ended up doing on The Irishman and just pause like after every hour and just kind of, you know, come back. Even though I think this movie is a lot less you know, serialized in that movie. I think, you know, I think the, I think the Irishman, you can definitely chop it up into four blocks. This one is kind of like, it's kind of like Oppenheimer where you're just kind of like, I mean, each thing kind of just keeps building and building. If that, if that makes sense. So, um, but yes. Okay. So is there any other points for the Irishman or not? Well, not the Irishman, but the killers of the flower moon. Um, I, I would say that uh, for younger people who don't who aren't familiar with Scorsese's work, um, 
I just hope that they would like watch some of his older movies as well. Um, not let this one, The Irishman, kind of like represent his movies. Because I mean, I'm, I mean, my first the one. I'm not sure about you guys. The first Scorsese movie I saw was uh, The Aviator, and that's how I discovered him. Still one of my favorite movies of all time. That's a yeah, huge impact on me. Um, the and then the second one was Departed, and then third was Goodfellas, and so. I think, uh, unless it was out of order. Uh, but, um, so yeah, I just don't, I don't know if, like, these last two, because um, even Silence, uh, I thought that was a great movie. Um, and just to give it, Oh, I'm, it's one I'm, of my like, favorites of his. What's that? Yeah. That's, that's my, one of my favorite, like, yeah. top five favorite Scorsese movies, Silence. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. And it's a long movie, it's slow paced, but it's very effective. Um, I'm not religious at all, and I still loved it. That's how good it is. You know, I don't, and so it, I don't know. I feel like after Silence, um, yeah, these last two have just been kind of like I'm even lukewarm on them. I don't. I'm not really. Uh, they're good, but they're not like that memorable for me, or they won't be. Um, but like, I mean, I've seen some of his movies like five times. Like even something like Casino, I think I've seen four times. That's not. That's one that doesn't get talked about that much. Um, but yeah, this one I probably won't watch again. I don't know. Well. I'm- We'll see. I don't know if I will see it again. I, I was supposed to see this, you know, a couple more times, but I have no idea how it will work in my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I, I somehow crammed Oppenheimer 4.3 times. So <laughs> um, we'll see how this, we'll see how this, you know, turns out, especially since, you know, there's a lot of movies coming out, you know, about to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh with that said, David, do you have any more final points? Um, not not that I can think of right now. I don't want to grasp at straws. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I would just say, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon, it's a really good movie. Um, I don't know if I would put it best of the year. It's very well done. Um, I am curious to see what Scorsese does next. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, I'm I'm very interested. I'm very very curious because it's kind of he's got a couple things in the in up in the air, but nothing's like nothing is final. Because after the I fi- think he's he came out and said like the next project he wants to do is it's an ad- adaptation of a book called The Wager, I think. With and it, it's another pro- it would be another project with Leo. Do you guys think he should drop Leo? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think so. You don't think so? I, I don't know. I, if he wants to make a drama like that's not a you know going to be a blockbuster. Right? I mean, from from my perspective, if Leo wants to be paid that much for a movie, he should put on a cape or a pirate costume. If he want, wants to be paid Johnny Depp money or uh, or uh, Downey Jr. money, you know, in terms of. But I, I w- if you do look at the the box office of his most profitable movies, or at least not, not I don't know if they're the most profitable. The most the movies that have perform the best at the box office i'll say that because profitable you know that could be semantics um the movies that have performed the best for him like i think like three of the top five star leonardo dicaprio (laughs) yeah well and also i mean to be fair i mean they have like a great working relationship and also this was like the perfect melding of like working relationships for scorsese because he's working with De Niro and DiCaprio. So it's just like two icons and then an iconic filmmaker. I mean, 
if this was a different time period, like if this was a different, like if this was in the 2000s, this movie would like make bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, just on De Niro, DiCaprio, and Scorsese, all one picture. Like this would have made the $200 million budget back easily. But now we one thing that's interesting is that even though the opening box office, uh, the opening weekend box office for it was only like I think it was like only twenty six million, it still ranks in like the top five Martin Scorsese uh, opening weekends because like his movies historically have not opened very um, very high. And what's interesting about the box office is, and, and, and look, this could have just been my theater, but there was still a crowd seeing Killers of the Flower Moon. You know, in my theater, in my four fifteen showing in Athens, uh, so I was very pleased to find out that you know there was like whole rows of lines of seats like taken up to see this big epic movie. So, but that could be just me. Um, all right, so I think we've covered the killers of the Flower Moon. Um, we saw some killers stabbing some flower moons. Um, mm-hmm. and not, this, this I should stop that joke. But anyway, so with that, um, if it, no one has any other points to make, uh, I'm gonna start with you, David. Where can the good people find you? And do you have a blog? To uh, you can find me on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, um, at Wiser underscore David. Um, and then uh, my blog's Bum Assessment, and um, yeah. Every time I hear X, I think of Brand X from Food Fight. Brand X, Brand X. Only like five people will know that reference. Um, and then Brandon. I think I've destroyed all my social media accounts, so I don't know where you can find me. <laughs> I'd have to think about it for a while. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> then don't share the GPS coordinates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at Movie Kale. Um, all of the links uh, to David uh, David's blog uh, will be in the description below. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you, David and Brandon, for joining me in covering this uh, very long this very long movie in an hour and a half. So we basically did it in two hours shorter than this movie. So thank you guys so much. And uh, we'll be back very, very soon. Uh for I don't even know what the next episode will be but we'll be back very very soon for the, the next episode surrounds my heart you gotta pick a side I don't even know if you love me anymore of course I love you and kill these men who killed my family did your wife say who she was most afraid of? Don't do something you're going to regret for the rest of your life. I ain't got nothing but regret. <laughs> <laughs>